Welcome to the Stone Pillar Podcast. I am your host, Dane Sampson, and and I'm Brian Wilbur, and we're 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 back at it to kind of reflect on the the life, the ministry, the the teaching of South Paris Baptist Church. Um, this past Sunday, uh, I was unexpectedly out of the pulpit, and uh, our brother. And friend uh, Doug Twitchell, um, who's actually part of our church family, but he, he he regularly preaches in other congregations. Um, but he was able to come and and share the word with us, and gave us uh, a message called "The Arrival of the Light," uh, a sermon for Epiphany. For those who are familiar with the 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 church calendar seasons of Christmas and Christmas tide and Epiphany and Epiphany tide, uh, we're not. We're not uh, too uh, in tune with all that here at South Paris Baptist Church, though we certainly celebrate Advent and Christmas Eve and, and, and so forth. But uh, anyway, the arrival of the light, um, uh, a, a wonderful, uh, wonderful message. Jesus is the light of the world, and he has come to dispel our darkness. Um, so why don't we... Uh, we got a we got a few things uh, that we want to reflect on today, and we'll start there. Let's 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 uh, let's just start with a little reflection on on Doug's sermon. What what uh, what thoughts do you have? I, I really liked a lot of the things that he said. I, I liked I liked one analogy that he used where he said that the the light is something that you see your path by. It allows you to see your path. Like you don't look into the light. Um, unless maybe you were a fly or a moth, <laughs> but you look at what the light is illuminating so that you don't sh- stumble and trip. Um, and there was a number of verses that came to mind during his sermon. Um, I, I've been spending a lot of time in, in Psalm 119, and a few of those thoughts came to mind through Psalm 119. Psalm 119, uh, 130 says, uh, the opening of your words gives light and understanding to the simple. And then in 135, it says, make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your laws. And then in another place, um, Psalm 119, 105, this is very familiar to us. uh, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And I I was enjoying chewing upon those verses in light in light (laughs) of the sermon that he shared on Sunday. And and one thing that's, that's uh, one other thing that stuck out to me that I'll have to turn here um, that this worth mentioning and and maybe you want to say something while I turn. No, go right ahead. Where are you turning to? I'm turning to Malachi. I'm turning to Malachi chapter 4, where it says in verse 2, 
But to you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness or the brilliance of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings and you shall go out and leap for joy like calves from the stall. And I just, I just loved that in, in lieu of what he was talking about in Sunday's sermon. I wonder if, if uh, Charles Wesley in his uh, beloved Christmas hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, I wonder if he, if he derived the phrase in the hymn, risen with healing in his wings. I hope I have that exactly right. If he got that from Malachi 4.2, uh, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. That so- sounds very, yeah. very close. Yeah. Well, I, I liked the play on words. I mean, because Jesus is the son, S-O-N. Right. But he is also brilliant. Yeah. And radiant like the S-U-N, the sun. And here we have um, it's Shin, Mem, Shin, uh, Shemesh, sun, or, or brilliance of righteousness. And, and that, like, that's such a beautifully poetic description of the Messiah, is, is he is radiant in righteousness. He is, he is the embodiment and the very source of righteousness, just like warmth and illumination is like the sun is the source of these things and the Messiah is like the sun in that regard that he is the source of righteousness. And it is interesting how we 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 need to see him. We we he 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 is the light and as the light he's not here just to shed light on other other things or other realities although although he does that he he his his light his reality his truth really defines our understanding of all things but not only is he the light that we need to see but then like Doug said he he he's the light that and his light shows us the way and he is the way you know mm-hmm. he's he's the light and he is the way he he's the embodiment you you mentioned how the like the the, the word of god the law of god is a light to us and it shows us the way forward and 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 he's the embodiment of that not only did he speak forth the words of the lord and give us instruction but he he lived it perfectly and and that uh we we need to study the life of jesus and understand not just what he said but how he lived and how he interacted with people and and um just the yeah the, the 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 attitudes and the priorities that he uh, that he illustrated throughout his life all of all of those things are meant to uh, to teach us and instruct us and transform us yeah well he he's the word he's the word made flesh so the opening up of your words gives light and gives understanding to the simple mm-hmm. you know he is the embodiment of his own words. Mm-hmm. And his words are the extension of his mind and the extension of his heart and his thoughts are communicated in his words, both the written word and the spoken word and the living word in the embodiment of Christ. And when we study and we learn more about Christ and, you know, whether that's in the Advent season or in the Epiphany season or throughout the year, we get to, we are illuminated by extension of being in close proximity with him.
I'm turning to another passage. Uh, I think, yeah, I think Isaiah Isaiah 60 uh, was was read um, at the beginning of the of the service. Um, Isaiah 60 verse one: Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. That was Isaiah 60, verses 1 to 3. It's, you know, it's interesting, uh, chewing on that, Isaiah 61 to 3, and then Doug mentioned uh, Luke 2, um, when uh, Simeon, uh, Simeon took the, the, the child Jesus into his arms and, and, uh, and indicated uh, that he was, in Luke 2:32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And then earlier in Luke 2, uh, when, the, when the, angel, the angel said to the shepherds in the field, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I wonder, I, you know, I wonder if anybody heard the um, kind of a tension, might not be the, the perfect word, but I wonder if anybody made a comparison between that emphasis on uh, the gospel being for all peoples, uh, for you know, for 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 Jews and for Gentiles, and if any if anyone made a comparison between that emphasis and the uh, message that I had given a few weeks ago, um, Matthew one twenty one, where it says she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins, and this is a you know this is a great example to me of how. You, I, I call it, and it's not, I don't think this is original to me, uh, you, you, you cut with the grain of the text. You know, every, every text has a particular edge, a particular emphasis that, is, 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 that, that the Lord intends to convey through it. And sometimes we just like to collapse everything down or, you know, boil everything down to our preferred way of saying it, mm-hmm. or we allow some texts to cancel out other texts and we should not do that. There are no, there are no, uh, there are no contradictions in God's word. There, there, there may be things that from our side appear to be tensions or paradoxes, but, but, you know, but God is, God is, is clear minded and there are no, there are no contradictions, but it's just interesting when you put this side by side, he came to save his people from their sins. And this message of the gospel is for all peoples, Jew and Gentile. And you see that in Isaiah 60 and Luke 2. And, and, and so I, I just think that that's interesting to put those two things side by side. And, uh, of course, one of the unexpected things, if you, if you were, uh, let's say you were a, uh, uh, a, a Jew who didn't understand uh, all that Jesus had come to do, and you were reading Matthew one twenty one, coming on the coming after the all the genealogy, you know, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
uh, you might read his people in Matthew 121, for he will save his people from their sins. You might equate his people as Israel. Yeah. Um, and yet, actually, uh, you know, and, and this is this even comes up in, you know, Doug referred to Ephesians chapter 3, but how actually... Uh, you could look at it like this: God was 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 changing the, he was changing the the borders of Israel, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, by incorporating the nations into it. So he came, yes, he came to save his people from their sins, and you you could you could rightly view that through the lens of. God's sovereign election. He, he, he came to save his chosen ones from every tribe and tongue from their sins. Or you could, you could rightly view it from, from, this, from the standpoint of, uh, you know, who, who is it that, who is it that uh, enters into the kingdom of the Lord? It's, 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 those, who, it's those who receive Christ, those who, those who have faith. Um, and so he came to save those who repent and believe uh, from every tribe and tongue from their their sins, uh, but it's just it's just good to remember that that proper emphasis in in places like Luke chapter two, where you know good news of great joy for all people, for all the people, uh, for Jews, for Gentiles, and then as you go through, especially you know the Gospel of Luke um, and other passages as well, where we 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 often tend to we think the gospel is for certain kinds of people. Mm. <laughs> certain certain kinds of sinners the, the 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 gospel is good news for sinful human beings mm. and if if anyone would receive Christ um he or she becomes a new creation and get and 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 gets woven into God's eternal family his multi multi ethnic diverse family of believers from all over the world brought together as one body, one family, one house in the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. A light came into the darkness and the darkness could not understand it. And, and in that light, there was life and that life transforms all those who believe. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting um, also that, you know, I w- I w- it's the beginning of the year and I was going to, and I'm, and I'm planning on preaching a, a short series at the beginning of the year that I think is timely and helpful for our church family. Um, the, the sermon series is entitled, see if I can remember it, um, an, earnest, an Earnest Appeal to to preserve and promote true peace among God's people. It's something like that. An earnest appeal to preserve and promote true peace among God's people. And Doug's sermon, the, the final third of it, actually set up the this little series that I have in mind. Oh, cool. Uh, you know, he kind of walked through a little bit, like Ephesians 3, um, where this this whole mystery that you know that's now revealed that the that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the same body with with 
with uh, with believing Jews. You know, believing Gentiles and believing Jews are one 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 body. And and you know, Doug kind of kind of uh, in I think in reference to some of the things that we see in the Gospels. You know, he he made a statement like you know when when we invite when we invite Christ to our table or when we invite Christ to our house. Um, uh, it, it, it ceases to be our table or our, our, or our house. Not that it really ever was anyway, right, right. but, but, but we, we have expectations, Yeah, you know, uh, people would invite Jesus over to their house in the gospels, uh, that are recounted for, you know, those kind of circumstances are recounted for us. And then some really unexpected and surprising things would take place. Um, you know, Jesus is Lord. But this idea that uh, we don't we don't get to we don't get to pick and choose our brothers and sisters. Mm. Um, yeah, that's a good point. And and, and that's this is this is the, the the setup that I'm describing in terms of the sermon series that I want to do. Uh, that in in the in the physical world we don't get to pick and choose our brothers and sisters. Um, I have one sister. Okay, we we didn't choose to be brother and sister, we are brothers brother and sister. You know, I have I have I have five children, four boys and one girl. Uh, they are brothers and sister. They didn't choose to be brothers and sister, but that is in fact what they are. And uh, and and in in the family of God, spiritually speaking, we we don't we don't get to choose our brothers and sisters. Je- Jesus chose the twelve the diverse group that they were. Mm. Jesus chose them. Um, and the, the statement that Doug made was, you know, the idea that, well, yeah, when you, you invite Christ to your table, it ceases to be your table, and he can invite anyone else that he wants. Um, and, and so we need, to, we need to see the body of believers as, hey, this isn't, this isn't, my, this isn't my body of believers. This isn't your body of believers. Right. This is the body of Christ. Right. Christ is the head, Christ is Lord, and Christ calls me to walk in love toward all my brothers and sisters, no matter what the challenges are. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's kind of what I want to get into a little bit in the series, is that the fact of, mat- the, fact of the matter is, is, that, is that doing life together with our brothers and sisters who are like us, are flawed, like us, stumble and fall, um, and we bump into each other and rub each other the wrong way or don't understand each other. That's just like, like that's just, that's life. Welcome to life. Welcome to life in God's family. But we need to have a mindset that, okay, I'm here. These are Christ people. These are my brothers and sisters. Now I need to walk in love toward them. I need to do whatever love requires as, 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 as scripture unfolds what the way of love looks like. We need to do whatever love requires in order to preserve and promote true peace among God's people. Yeah. Yeah. I I like that. You don't, we don't choose, we don't choose our siblings. Um, but we, we are commanded to love them. Yeah. <laughs> Whether yeah. we like it or not. Yeah. We, don't, we, <laughs> we don't choose our siblings, and we also don't choose our trials. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're a dad of young kids. 
you wake up on any given on any given day, you don't you don't know what interesting challenges and trials await you that day. Some For of sure. which will come to you in relation to or through your children. For sure. And it's just it's just life. Mm-hmm. So um, some I'm so I re- I really appreciated how how Doug uh, kind of wrapped up his message and that implication he gave us that that the gospel is for all peoples has implication for, hey, you know what? Um, we're a, what? We're just a, we're, we're a diverse group of people. We wouldn't have chosen to be together. There might be a few, you know, a few small pockets of friendship circles that would have existed either way. But in terms of the church as a whole, we, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have chosen to congregate together for any other purpose. We, we're only, we're only together because of Christ. Mm-hmm. We're only together because of the word of God. We're only together because of the grace of the gospel. That's what brings us together. And we have to learn how to, how to, you know, how to walk in peace toward each other. And, and, the, and the palpable tension in the first century church between Jews and Gentiles. Yeah. I mean, like the Gentiles were like, they were Gentiles. They were, they were, they disgusting. Second rate. Dirty, you know, uh, godless heathens practically. Um, and the, and the Jews, you know, they, they were a very stuck up people. Um, very proud, very, um, um, very elitist in their mentality of what their relationship with God looked like. And they looked down their noses at the Gentiles. And the Gentiles probably looked down their noses in other respects, cultural respects, ethnic respects, towards the Jews. And the, the tension between these two, like they, they had had centuries, if not millennia, of, of tension between them where they could not see eye to eye. They were totally... They're very culturally different. I mean, the the just like comparing the Romans to the Jews in Jesus's day. I mean, the the Romans looked down at the Jews because the Jews would, like in Galilee, would have the livestock in their house with them, and that was like completely backward and primitive. And then the Jews would look down on the Gentiles as these uncircumcised, godless um, pagans. And now the tables have flipped and things have changed. And now Jew and Gentile can be unified as one body in Christ. Uh, What a massive paradigm shift, a cultural dynamic, just like these two cultural dynamics that are at odds with each other colliding. And we don't, I don't think we really have anything this comparable in our, in our society that I can think of that really kind of, captures what that must have been like. And, and what I'm getting at is if, if they could do it, if, if considering the, the massive hurdles that they had to get over and uh, uh, cultural unbecomingness that they had to look past in order to extend love to their brothers who might be on the other side of this cultural divide, uh, it is so much easier for us. Like we have, we have, we don't have a cultural divide, mm-hmm. even between us and Jews. Like as far as the Jews are concerned in the 21st century, they are moderns and Western in their thinking, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, we don't really have much, much to compare to this. And if they could do it, 
and the church could blossom mm -hmm. with them, mm -hmm. then why not with us? Yeah, and, and you know, it, it's the, the, sinful, the sinful heart is, is, you know, that perennial problem, you know, where uh, we may not have those kind of cultural similarities, um, and yet the sinful human heart uh, so easily finds certain people not to like. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't like those people. I don't like that person. Mm -hmm. um, and, and yet uh, that person that we don't like may be the wonderful recipient of God's grace. And now we have to figure out how to love him or her, and they have to figure out how to love us. Um, and so, uh, yeah, there's a lot there to chew on. I want to, I want to, I want to throw a question to you. Um, so I'm shifting gears here a bit. Um, we, we, I, a young person, uh, submitted, uh, a question to me, not necessarily for the podcast, although he did mention that it might be addressed on the podcast and that's what I've decided to, to do with it. So let me just, let me, uh, let me share this with you and, and let you respond first. Okay. I just read Luke 22, uh, this person writes, and I kept rereading the part where Peter denies Jesus. It is a famous part of scripture that has been taught over. But the question I had tonight was why Peter actually did deny him, and three times for that matter. It has shown us clearly that Peter loves the Lord dearly, John chapter 21, verses 15 to 19, and that Peter was indeed special to the Lord, Luke 22, verses 31 and 32. So why did Peter feel the need to deny him? Was it purely because Jesus said so, even though Peter did not feel that way in his heart? Or was it because Peter was fearful of the people who may judge him for being a disciple? Uh, just some thoughts that's been running through my mind. Um, so what do, you, what do you think? Why, why, did, uh, why did Peter deny Jesus? I think this is a great question. Um, yeah, so I, I think that Peter was dealing with a fear, but not a fear in the way that we, we, we might typically understand that fear. I think that Peter was, um, in this instance, so like this, like rewind a little bit in the narrative, um, Peter was was a very courageous, headstrong, and bold type of personality, um, and we see this again and again throughout the Gospels as far as a character study of Peter is concerned. Um, Peter had said to our Lord, to to Jesus, he had said to him that you know I'm ready to go with you even to death, and uh, and Jesus said to him like you don't even know what you're talking about like like get behind me Satan. Um, Satan has, will, is going to sift you like wheat. Um, and that sifting like wheat is an important element of this because that is exactly what happened. So these things happened, they do happen because Christ said that they would happen. Um, that, that is an element. But the sifting of wheat, one way we can understand that is that wheat is sifted. And in the process of sifting the wheat, the wheat breaks apart, falls through the cracks, and falls to the ground. So there's the shaking the breaking apart, falling through the cracks, falling to the ground. 
this is what Satan desires to do with Peter. And I would say he desires to do this with, with believers in general. Um, in the events leading up to uh, the arrest of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Jesus is going off to pray, and he's asking his disciples to stay awake, and his disciples are not staying awake. They are falling asleep. Um, Judas arrives to arrest Jesus, and Peter very uh, courageously, you might say, bravery, um, he leaps forward to defend his master and lops off the ear of the high priest's servant. And it, I think it's safe to assume that he wasn't aiming for his ear. He was aiming for a fatal blow and missed. Um, mercifully, wonderfully, gloriously, he missed. And, and Christ heals on the spot. And it's this amazing little detail. But I can't imagine that moving forward into the mock trial of Christ, that Peter was not carrying the moral weight of his actions as he enters into um, uh, the, the high priest's home. Now, uh, I think what was going on in, in Peter wasn't so much the fear of, of dying for the cause of the Messiah or for the cause of his kingdom, I think Peter was dealing with a massive in the moment paradigm shift. He had the expectation that the Messiah would be a conquering king and that he was going to restore uh, Jerusalem and establish his kingdom and he's going to drive out the Romans. And now here we have the Messiah who, who Peter had previously is like, you are, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And, and, and Jesus says, well, no human has revealed this to you. Like, blessed are you for understanding who I am. And here we see Christ, who Peter has invested all of his faith and confidence in. He has followed him, slept on the ground with him, been chased out of cities with him. Now Peter is watching his master and Lord be ridiculed and mocked and debased and humiliated. And I think that was the fear that caused Peter to stumble. It wasn't the fear of a glorious death. It wasn't the fear of, of battling it out and going down in the fray. It, it wasn't a, 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 the fear, uh, a, it, he was courageous in those regards. He was very courageous. But in the context of being ridiculed and in the, in the view of his master who he put so much reliance on, watching what he believed in be dragged through the dirt, Peter recoiled at that and was afraid of ridicule. And part of the reason why I would say that is a fear of not just death, but a fear of ridicule is the person who's accusing him is a slave girl. And it's not like Peter is being interrogated. It's not like he is, he is being cornered by the guards and they're roughing him up. Peter is asked by the slave girl who is like <laughs> checking everyone who's coming into the, into the courtyard. Um, and, and she's like, hey, wait a second. Um, most likely she was a relative of the guy who got his ear chopped off. And she's like, hey, wait a second. Aren't you that guy in the garden who's been following Jesus? Aren't you him? And that's when he denies Christ the third time and the rooster crows. Like this, this slave girl had no authority over Peter. But the very idea of being ridiculed, being made to look a fool 
for his investment of his time and his commitment and his dedication and his love for Christ, being made to look a fool and to be mocked and, and punched in the face and, and spat upon as Christ was currently being treated and being sucked into that vortex, I think that's what caused Peter to, to stumble and to deny Christ was a very natural human um, fear of, of ridicule and mockery. And, and that's very appropriate and poignant for us in this age because it is somewhat easier to be courageous in the face of mortal danger and then be a coward in the face of disapproval and ridicule. You know, I, I, have, I have seen some courage in my life, bravery on the battlefield. Um, it would be like bravery on the battlefield and then you come home and you are afraid that, that people won't, they won't accept you or they, won't, they'll, they will uh, ridicule or mock you or, or make fun of you. And that sort of, that sort of fear is different. It's, it's a different and distinctly, distinctly flavored type of fear um, that is not the same as a fear for your life. And I think that that's really where Peter... I think that's really where Peter was struggling. And I think we see that cons is consistent with Peter in, in um, other areas like in Acts where Peter kind of, he kind of uh, flip-flopped on his stance about Gentiles and the circumcision and, and things of that nature. And he was ultimately challenged on that in Antioch. Um, I think Peter struggled as a person, as a, a normal human being would struggle with the approval of other people. And I, I think this is, these lessons um, from Peter's life are very important because Peter, in his, in his letters, and his epistles, and in Acts, we see Peter in many cases being very bold, proclaiming the gospel with great conviction and confidence like in uh, Pentecost. He was not ashamed or abashed or concerned with the opinions of man. Like he was shouting it from the rooftops. Nobody could stop him. Um, but, you know, this is, this is, this is a human just like we are human, like we, he, is, he is prone to failure, he is prone to flaws, he is prone to weakness, he stumbles. And in this stumbling, which, you know, Christ could have protected him from being sifted. He could have protected him from the adversary. He chose not to. He allowed Peter to be tested in this way. And in the same way, he allows us to be tested. And real testings produce real consequences, real failures. And then with these real failures came real forgiveness and real restoration for Peter. And, and this is a wonderful example for our lives as Christians is that like you can be the man, you can be Peter and still stumble and fall. And Christ has a plan for that if you turn and you bring that back to him in repentance there is a path of restoration with Christ. I think it's, I, there's a, a, a few things I want to say about this question. Uh, one is, I, I, I do think it's important to give a little uh, nuance to uh, the protection that the Lord gives us, because there's kind of different, if you want to look at it in terms of layers, there's different kind of layers of protection that the Lord may choose to give or not to give to us. Um, so he, here, it, it's, evident, it's evident that the Lord is protecting Peter from 
from ultimate failure. Right. Um, it says in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Right that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So uh, the Lord protects us on his terms, not ours. Right. The Lord did not keep Peter from going through this trial, from facing this temptation, and from actually stumbling. But he did, through 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 his prayer, the Lord did protect Peter from, from, uh, you know, from utterly failing Mm -hmm. in his faith, uh, you know, from stumbling so as to fall beyond recovery. The Lord did protect him from that. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, we need to be, we need to be content with that. We, we often want the Lord to keep us from facing the trial at all or from facing right. the test at all. Yeah, that's what that's all I meant to And yeah. and uh no, the Lord has uh you know ordained that we that we go through various kinds of trials and testings and they 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 expose and refine and 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 are part of our part of our sanctification process. Um I, I want to add a couple other things to this issue of why why did Peter deny Jesus? Uh, and by the way, with, to, to the I, there was a suggestion here. Um, you know, did did Peter deny Jesus purely because Jesus said so? Um, I mean, he, he was just he was asking that as a question um, purely because Jesus said so. You know, and that raises a really interesting uh, uh, point I want to make, and that is God's orchestration of our lives, you know, our, 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 you know, the plans that he has for us, the, the days, the appointed days for us, you know, Psalm 139, the days that are written for us, uh, the works prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, Ephesians two. The, the the Lord has the Lord has orchestrated beforehand the you know the the contours and the details of our lives, and yet that doesn't that doesn't turn us into um, robots, you know, like like you know there, there, therefore therefore you know you will act this way even though it's contrary to. <laughs> what what you what you feel for, for, for example uh, you know it's just it's a mystery but how, how how the Lord how the Lord can orchestrate beforehand the actions of free creatures uh, that that's that's way beyond our pay grade and yet I mean it's, it's way beyond our pay grade to understand how that works uh, but I and and yet I I totally believe it because that's what the Bible teaches so um, it was inevitable that Peter was going to uh, was going to deny the Lord three times. It, G- Jesus knew that that's exactly what Peter was going to do. It was inevitable that Peter was going to do it, and yet, and yet, when he did it, he was acting 
he was acting out of his own heart. He was acting out of his own will. In, in, in that moment, that is what he wanted to do. Um, so I just wanted to say that because, you know, P P Peter was indeed acting out of his own heart, out of his own weakness, out of his own uh, uh, reluctance to share in the, in the ridicule and suffering of his Lord um, in, that, in that particular moment. Um, it also, you know, it's interesting to me, uh, in, the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Jesus told Peter, James, and John especially to pray that they may not enter into temptation. Mm -hmm. And what happened to Peter, James, and John? Yeah. They, they fell asleep. Mm -hmm. So th there's a, there's a lesson in that for us. In that, in the in the practical experiential unfolding of this of this uh, stumbling on Peter's part, um, he was he was ill prepared, and he was ill prepared not for lack of instruction. Right. The Lord told him to yes. pray that you may not enter into temptation. You know, Jesus was praying. Jesus was pouring out his heart before the Father. Jesus was yielding himself to the Father's will. And therefore, Jesus was well-equipped to face the trial that he was about to face with the Jewish bigwigs. Mm. Peter did not follow Jesus's counsel to pray that he may not enter into temptation. And therefore, on that, on that practical, experiential level, Peter was ill-equipped. He, he was, he was, uh, he was prayerless um, in that moment and leading up to that particular temptation. And he, uh, therefore, he, he did not meet that temptation in the strength of the Lord, but rather he met that temptation in his own, in his own weakness. Yeah. In his own strength. Yeah. Yeah. Which he's commanded. He's like, you know, Christ said, you know, take up your cross and follow me. And that that was that that took time for that to develop in Peter's heart, and and this was one of those critical moments in his character development where he starts to see, I think, that oh, th this this is much bigger than what I thought it was. Like this is much larger. His plan is much grander, and he ultimately does take up his cross and is martyred much like Christ, actually upside down, according to tradition. tradition. And, and so, and, and related to this issue of Peter's weakness and the fact that he was, he was prayerless and weak in the face of temptation is another, another thing that I think is helpful for people to understand is Peter um, did not yet have the uh, the, the indwelling Holy Spirit. Right. Um, and you know, when you read through the, the gospel accounts and then you get into the book of Acts mm. and then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and it gives them a, 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 a boldness, a courage, an understanding that they, they didn't have, uh, 
prior to receiving the Holy Spirit. Mm. And, you know, and we should remember that, and it shows how much we need the, the help and strength of the Holy Spirit in order to meet the temptations and trials that are ahead of us. And, and you know, when you get to, it's interesting, when you get to Acts chapter 5, I mean, just, just, just think about, it's wonderful to think about the transformation that Peter experienced from his, his failing in Luke chapter 22 to his, uh, to his joy in Acts chapter 5. It says, um, uh, let me just pick it up uh, in verse, uh, the end of verse 39. Uh, so they, they took his advice. This is referring to their, their, the apostles' persecutors. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council. And what does it say? Does it say that they left the presence of the council uh, uh, complaining? Were they complaining? Were they complaining that they had been beaten? <laughs> no, no. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They, so the apostles, including Peter, they had come to a point now having the Holy Spirit and walking in the strength of the Holy Spirit they were full of joy, and they counted it worthy to suffer dishonor mm. for the sake of the name of Jesus. Peter didn't have that mindset in Luke 22. Right, yeah. He, 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 he didn't understand. He was ill-equipped. Um, he was without the help of, of prayer and the help of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but here now, he, he's just, he and the other apostles, they're transformed men. Yeah, are, are we transformed exactly? Are we willing to? Are we willing to share in the suffering of the Lord? Are we willing to suffer dishonor and reproach for the sake of the name? Are we? Are we willing to be thought um, backwards or old-fashioned or 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 much worse? Are we? Are we willing to be thought? Uh, as losers and uh, the ignorant, um, are we willing to be to be thought in such thought of in such ways? Um, are we willing to stand with Jesus publicly, verbally, and in our actions? Mm. Yeah, I, I love that because yeah, the transformation of of Peter as a as a character study is something that I've, I've really enjoyed in the past because it, it's, it's so human. He's not a superhero that is, doesn't have a cape. He doesn't have his underwear on the outside of his pants. Like he is just, sorry, Superman. Um, he, uh, he is very believable. He is a down-to-earth, dirt-under-his-nails fisherman. And his story of is, is a transformative story. As you go through the Gospels, you get to know him, and then you get into Acts. This is a different person. Like, he is still the same person, 
but he's also a very different person. The, the boldness and his willingness to sh- share and reproach and to count it all joy. It's just like this, this guy is, he has been completely transformed. And, and it, it almost knits right back into the, mm. the, the epiphany, mm. like the, the light yeah. of the Holy Spirit yeah. had come into the darkness yeah. and cast it out. Yeah. Well, do, do, do you know? Do you know what Jesus said just a few verses before he said, "You are the light of the world." Speaking to his disciples, you know what he said? Off the top of my head, no. I have to look it up. Well, just a few verses before he said, "You are the light of the world," and just I think just a single verse before he said to his disciples that you are the salt of the earth. Oh, in Matthew five. That's in, yeah, that's in Matthew 5, 13 to 16. Well, in Matthew 5, 11 and 12, he said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I want to I I just make one, give one, what I hope is a practical encouragement to those who are listening to this, and that is, Make it your aim to speak truthfully, honestly, to one another as fellow believers. It, it, it's, it, and what I'm trying to say is, is that this is a, this is a helpful step to uh, not caring what other people think. And when I say, and I don't, I don't mean, I don't mean, when I say don't care about what other people think, I don't mean therefore feel free to like <laughs> injure people and run over people. That's not what I mean. I, I, what I mean is you've got to, you've got to become the kind of person who I, I want to, I need to, I need to speak in a way that honors the Lord. I need to learn to speak the truth. I, I need to learn to be honest. If I disagree with someone, I need to learn how to charitably and kindly, but truthfully express that disagreement. I need, I, I don't want to be the kind of person who is just kind of like, like mm. unafraid to, to, to share who I am because I'm, I'm preoccupied with, well, what are you going to think if you know what I really think? Or what are you going to think if I disagree with you? Or, you know, um, I was just talking with someone today and I was, I was, I was giving him, giving him a little pushback in terms of how he was articulating something. Um, and, uh, and what I'm trying to say is among believers, that's a good practice ground for like, just learn to be honest with people. Yeah. You know, like if I'm, af- if I'm afraid to disagree with you or if you're afraid to disagree with me, how are we going to handle like, you know, more serious disagreements with, with, you know, with maybe with people in our culture who want to hurt us. Like, like we, what I'm trying to say is le- learn to tell the truth among your friends. Right. Learn to tell the truth among your brothers and sisters. And I think that will help you to gain courage and strength to tell the truth to the world. Certainly. Yeah. It's, it's an exercise, a good exercise. It's like young lions learn to hunt by wrestling with their siblings. Good and, analogy. And that makes them good hunters. And it's like the, I don't have lions. I have cats that are like little lions and they wrestle with each other. And there's an interesting, you you observe the process of these cats wrestling with each other as kittens, as they grow up into adulthood. And you see that they are establishing boundaries and they are 
Like, no, 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 you bit my ear too hard, and now playtime is over. Well, now we can't continue this. Yeah. And we can revisit yeah. this later, but we need to take a break. Yeah. And, and it's really interesting to watch how they, how they train each other yeah. through push and pull and boundaries and um, finding where those lines are, what the appropriate line is, so that they can continue to have more roughhouse time, more play time. So really, so that they can have more training and be better equipped as hunters. Mm -hmm. um, and, and this is very much like the iron sharpening iron, you mm -hmm. know, uh, two pieces of iron rubbing on each other. It, it does a few things. It, it might create sparks, especially if the iron is corroded. There'll be sparks initially. Mm -hmm. But over time, what happens when the iron sharpens the iron is that one iron polishes the other iron and both of them become brilliant and they shine and reflect the sun. So these two, they burnish each other. Mm -hmm. And also they start to shape each other into an effective edge that can then cut or stab um, in, a, in a military way. And like a, it's, it's like really like the, the picture of a sword is in view of these, these irons sharpening each other. Um, and we have that as brothers, and it's a great training place, a proving ground where you can exercise telling the truth in love, not going beyond that boundary into abuse and misuse of your brother, um, but you can get you can get good feedback. You can get a little yeah. push and a little bit yeah. of push back, and, and you can strengthen your, your thinking processes, the yeah. synapses in your mind and how you verbalize yourself and how yeah. you work your way through things. Yeah. And then what an excellent set of tools to have when you're in the workplace, in the marketplace, going about the normal operations of life and you're interacting yeah. with people and, and trying to share with them. Maybe, you know, family members who tend to be the most uh, uh, conflict. <laughs> there tends to be a lot of conflict when you have disagreement in family mm -hmm. um, because the, the, those boundaries are much more obscure. Um, so, like, it can be very hard to share the truth with your family, particularly when they are unbelievers, because uh, the type of pushback you get from them is different than you would from the rest of the world. Um, how much better to have good tools and to sharpen those tools in, in an environment where you are hopefully respected and loved. It, 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 this, this uh, again, dovetails with, with uh, what I want to do in this sermon series upcoming just about you know, the, the reality is, is that not everyone thinks like you, not everyone thinks like me, not everyone thinks like the next person. And now we, we want, we, all of us should have the goal. We all want to bring all of our thoughts into subjection to the Lord, mm -hmm. but we can't strong arm that. Like the, the reality is, is that through our, because of our background, because of our current level of maturity, because of the teachers that we've had, for better or worse, maybe we've yeah. been maybe we've been well taught, maybe we've been poorly taught. Um, plus, whatever like personal issues we're going through at the moment, the reality is is that not everyone thinks like me, and I, and I don't think like everybody else, and other people don't think like each other, and so we've got we've got to learn to we've got to learn to navigate that graciously, humbly, and gently. But the way to the way to navigate that is not for everyone to shut down and not be honest about what you're thinking. We've got to have a way of charitably and kindly and humbly 
and yet still with a rigorous commitment to truth, God's truth, we need to be able to put our thoughts on the table and, uh, and sort it out in love and, and, and be willing to be challenged. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're wrong. Yeah. Maybe somebody else is wrong. But that's okay. If yeah. we're humble, yeah. we, shouldn't, we, shouldn't be, we shouldn't be put off by that. Yeah. Yeah, the, the right to be wrong. Uh, I am not a perfect man, so I don't speak perfectly. <laughs> You're not. <laughs> you know, big surprise, right? Um, you know, there, there was a perfect man, and he did speak perfectly. And Amen. He, he still speaks Amen. perfectly. Um, so it's like everyone has, in that view, everyone has the right to be just sincerely in error or sincerely wrong. And in humility and, and the, and the yes. sacrificing of our pride, we can, no, 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 we can cease to be wrong. <laughs> we can be corrected yeah. and yes. we can be honed and, and set right. Yeah. So I, I just want to transition to one final uh, aspect of, of today's episode. Um, how do I want to, how do I want to introduce this? Uh, I, I think one, one interesting way to introduce this actually is to, is to dovetail off this idea of, uh, of telling the truth. So it's interesting. Um, a, a, a couple of a couple of uh, a couple of podcast listeners uh, gave gave me some feedback um, to episode number ten, in which I shared my story. And uh, one person actually challenged me, even in terms of whether or not I rightly understood a certain aspect of my own story, and and. And that itself is instructive that, uh, that, that someone out there is willing to say, hey, uh, I, I listened to your story, and I think there's a part of it where you yourself aren't even rightly understanding it. And, um, I'm, and we should be humble enough to, like, to, to hear and receive and consider that possibility because the only, the only person in the universe who rightly and perfectly understands my story is the Lord. Amen. I, I, I do not claim to perfectly or rightly understand my own story. And uh, I understand a lot of it, I think, but, but still, I mean, you know, I might have some misperceptions of it, but um, so, but it was, it was, uh, it was su strongly suggested to me that uh, for those who heard my story in episode 10, it was strongly suggested to me that, the kind of the protracted season of, of, of darkness and angst and internal wrestling that I dealt with uh, shortly after my conversion. It was strongly suggested to me that I, I think about that not in terms of the, the spewing forth of the corruptions of my own heart, but rather that I think of it in terms of uh, satanic attack. Um, and my purpose at this particular moment on this podcast, what I think is episode thir 13, I think, uh, my purpose here on this podcast isn't to, to say whether it's totally one or the other, but, but I, but I, but I, but I hear that, I hear that, that feedback and that strong suggestion to me. Uh, I hear that and I understand the wisdom in it. Um, uh, and I think that when we, when we uh, 
have, whether it's whether it's a significant experience with the Lord or whether it's moving into repentance or whether it's taking steps of obedience, oftentimes, at those very times, uh, we are very vulnerable and often experience uh, satanic attack or trials and temptations coming at us from the outside. Um, and... Uh, and there's another listener who who wrote me a message in light of that very same part of my story in episode 10 that uh, that this person um, ha- has has recently um, experienced uh, uh, a significant season of spiritual growth there was there was conviction and repentance and then steps of obedience and spiritual growth and 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 after that, like after that conviction, repentance, steps of obedience and spiritual growth, after that, they went through a very dark season that, they, that this person said was very similar to the dark season that I described as having taken place after, after my conversion. Um, and I, and I, so I, I do think it's important to say whether we, we perfectly understand all the reasons why we, why we face such seasons of darkness and weakness, I do think it's important to say that we are, we are weak. Um, we are vulnerable to, uh, to it, the attack of the enemy. You know, Peter tells us to, uh, you know, to be sober-minded and attentive and to pay attention because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. Mm. Um, you know, the, the 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 devil and his minions seek to trip us up in all kinds of ways to discourage us. And and you know, and th- this this person who told me that that he recently went through an experience that was similar to the one I went through many years ago after my conversion. Um, he said that at the beginning of him going through this experience, he thought, like, man, is, is he like the only like is he like the only one who's ever experienced this? And 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 this is some part of part of the encouragement that I want to bring to our listeners today. Because when you're in a dark place, uh that's that's that was the kind of thing I thought too. Like I must be I must be the only one <laughs> who's Who's like going through this kind of thing? You know, like, 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 what's wrong with me that I'm going through this? Uh, and the fact of the matter is, is that we are weak, and we do go through difficult seasons, sometimes protracted seasons. Read the read the Psalms, the Psalmist, uh, right in the middle of our Bible, 150 Psalms, and some of those Psalms testify. To the to the experience of, of darkness and despair, um, you know Elijah after a great spiritual victory mm-hmm. uh, found himself somewhat depressed. I think that uh, Jeremiah comes to mind. I think Jeremiah, ha- yeah. you know, I mean, you know, Jeremiah, Job, um, uh, Jesus, the perfect man who had no failings whatsoever. Um, after his baptism, look at that as a as a you know a spiritual high. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, 
after his baptism, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And of course, he passed with flying colors. But the point is, is that you might think, in our own minds, we might think, oh, baptism and the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he's pronounced to be, you know, the Father's beloved son. You would think, and things went wonderfully after that. Well, no, actually, then immediately there was testing and temptation. So I want to tell our listeners that uh, wherever you're at right now, but especially, especially if you are in a place where you are eager to obey the Lord, where you are eager to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, where you're eager to to do God's will and to deal with the challenges in your life God's way, you know, um, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if, if there are peculiar, severe trials and temptations that come upon you. And if they do, don't despair. Many, many saints have gone that way, have have experienced that, that whether it's a dark night of the soul or a time of severe testing or a time of great angst and unrest and, and, uh, but, but the Lord is good and he is at work even in and through those seasons to do us good. So go go ahead. What, what can you, what can you add to this uh, reflection here? Well, I think absolutely. I mean, the the forces of darkness, the principalities and powers, you know, you take a step in the direction of the kingdom and they're going to mount an offensive and they're going to try and push back against that. Um, <clears throat> I love, I, uh, in, in my season of darkness, Psalm 42 and 43 really jumped off the page to me and I spent a fair amount of time there. Um, there were certain phrases in these two chapters that really jumped off the page at me. And that was verse three, Psalm 42, three, my tears have been my food day and night. Um, verse five, why are you depressed? Oh, my being just notice how many times he asks the question why, which is, you just mentioned that a number of times and the, the questioner asked that question. Why, why are you depressed? Oh, my being and restless within me. And then the promise, wait for God, for I shall yet thank him, the deliverance of his face. And that word deliverance is, is the adjective Yeshua, interestingly enough. Verse six, oh my God, my being is depressed within me. Conclusion, therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon. Verse nine, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Verse 11, why are you depressed, O my being? And why are you restless within me? Wait for God, for I shall yet thank him. And again, the deliverance of my face and my God. And deliverance there is is that adjective, Yeshua. Chapter 43, verse 2, for you are the God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Verse 5, 
Why are you depressed, O my being, and why are you restless within me? Again, wait for God, for I shall yet thank him, the Yeshua, deliverance of my face and my God. And I think it's so interesting that we see as the feminine passive participle is used as an adjective, Yeshua is used in, this, in, in these chapters as an adjective. I just think that's so interesting. But the psalmist writing, he asks this question, why, 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 why? And that was a question in my own heart um, during my personal season of darkness because it didn't, it didn't make sense. I couldn't wrap my head around it. And it was driving me mad trying to understand and conceptualize exactly what was going on. At the end of the day, I think that when we take steps in the right direction, there are steps that are taken against us. And, and it, it is, in part, my frailty. And I don't want to give the adversary too much credit. But the adversary is out there, and he is prowling around. And it's very curious, not curious, but amazing and interesting and illuminating that Peter was the one who made that comment, that the devil is prowling. Yeah. I think Peter understood what he was talking about because mm-hmm. I think he experienced that. And, you know, he was shifted like wheat. He was broken apart. He fell through the cracks. He fell down to the ground. And, and yet the Lord. And yet the Lord lifted him up. Yeah, the Lord held him up. And we too, we go through this sifting process and, you know, seeds of the kingdom that are sown in our hearts. The birds of the air seek to swoop in and carry them off. Um so I think that this, this does happen in our lives, and it's much more common than we, would, we, we might notice. And especially when you're in the midst of it, you think that you're the only one. Like, you're Elijah in the cave. You know, you think you're the only one, and, and yeah. you need the voice of the Lord to tell you, no, 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 there's, you know, whatever, 400 prophets that have not bowed the knee to, bowed the knee to Baal. Mm-hmm. Um, you are not alone. It just seems like you're alone. So, um, You know, but that desire to ask why, to ask why and why again. But the psalmist is so encouraging because he doesn't stay in this, not to dismiss it, but it's like a a pity party. He doesn't stay in this. He, He looks and he's like, wait for God. Blessed are those who wait for him. For, mm-hmm. you know, my tears in the evening will be joy in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know, wait for him. Wait for his promise. Hold your ground. Stand firm and watch the son of righteousness is rising with healing in his wings. We have to learn our own weakness. And it's, it's you know, the, the kingdom of God does not belong to the the proud and the strong and the self-satisfied the, the the kingdom of god belongs to the the poor in spirit the humble the kingdom of god belongs to the the weak who are learning to trust in the lord the the kingdom of god belongs to those who are hungry for righteousness you know those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and and we, we have to learn that. We have to learn our own weakness. And often we have to relearn our own weakness because as, as, as soon as we think, I've got this figured out, I can handle this. Mm-hmm. 
dangerous and, territory. And we, and we go on, and we go on. Yeah, yeah. We start coasting. We go on yeah. autopilot. We think I can handle this one, and then and then we and then we fail spectacularly, and we wonder why. Um, and so I think you know the 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 Lord um, the Lord has has actually designed our trials and tribulations and and attacks from without as well as as well as um well well i think he's he's designed all of those things in part to bring us face to face with our own weakness so that we would really learn to you know to to live to live on the strength that god provides to to live on the strength of the word to live on the strength of his promises to um you know to walk in his in his power so I just want to it's want to encourage everyone to you know to lay hold of that. Amen. Yeah, that's good encouragement. We all need that. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and he the Lord always meets us on the other side with fresh encouragements of his grace, mercy and love toward us as as is so beautifully demonstrated in the life of Peter, you know, on, on the on the other, you know, of course, Peter was brokenhearted uh, almost immediately after he denied the Lord three times. But then, it's it's no coincidence that three times after the resurrection, three times the Lord asked Peter, "Do you love me?" Mm-hmm. You know, and and. It's just, I mean, there was, of course, there was, there was a, there was a painfulness in that for Peter because he, he had, you know, it's like he had, he had to be reminded of the three, the three failings, but, but he was being, but he was being restored and recommissioned, you know, three times, do you love me? Three times, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. I mean, so here, here is, uh, here is one who, who painfully discovered the weakness of his own soul, who was entrusted with the care of Christ's sheep. Mm-hmm. That is tremendous encouragement. Satan intends our failings to get us out of the game. Right. The Lord makes use of all of that to equip us and prepare us and lead us into more fruitful ministry on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. That's right. So thank you. Thank you for thank you for joining us today. Um, be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power, as the Apostle Paul tells the Ephesians. Um, And uh, a a, a thank you to Aaron Darrell for the use of his music at the beginning of this episode. And a thank you to Caleb Lynch for for his uh, engineering work in getting this episode to you. And also a thank you to those who who gave us various inputs. Doug, uh, along with three others who gave us inputs that helped to inform this particular episode today. Amen. Yes, Heavenly Father, we just pray that your face would shine upon us as you go with us into various places and various trials, and that we would wait on you. In Jesus' name, amen.